Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Sean Shoot and Keenan Bonner. Jack Harper will be joining us hopefully in about five minutes, so uh, he'll be here shortly. The matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2012 Skyfall versus 2004's King Arthur. How is everyone doing today? All good, all good. Yeah, good mate. We well. have our usual uh, small talk before we uh, start the pod, so everything is coming in fresh here. Um, plenty to get into. Uh, hopefully, learnt some lessons from last week. I've condensed things a little and uh, got things ready to uh, free up and get everyone's different points of view, especially some tailored questions. But we'll start with Skyfall. Skyfall is the highest seed of the two, and the synopsis. James Bond's loyalty to M is tested when her past comes back to haunt her. When MI6 comes under attack, 007 must track down and destroy the threat, no matter how personal the cost. So, we did Casino Royale in the last bracket. We've got Skyfall this time around, so we've left out Quantum of Solace in between. That does seem to be the uh, consensus shout from most people who are Bond fans and not Bond fans, just kind of film fans. That seems to be the one that you you, you can leave out. Yeah, that's uh, people aren't not not big fans. I don't think it's as bad as everyone makes out, mind. I think I've only seen it the once. I only remember. Uh, the Bond girl's name from it, if I've got it right. And I'm pretty sure it was Olga Kirilenko, just because I remember her being in just about every newspaper at the time. <clears throat> really made the most of her moment, but I don't know how much she went on to do after that. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I think less possibly happens in it, from my memory. She went on I, to do a Johnny English film, so there we <clears> go. <throat> she really made the most of her time in Quantum of Solace. Mm. Mm. Johnny English was a snub from the bracket. Could have made it in, I reckon. Shite. Natalie Ambrulia. Yeah. That's not enough to uh, get you in this bracket. (laughs) It's a highlight of that film, though. It is. It is, for sure. If you want to put that as your wild card over uh, the grey, I'm sure Keenan will argue with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be raging if I've got to watch that bag of shit again. (laughs) It's not so, a, not really an adventure, is it? Otherwise, it might have a chance. Nothing fucking happens, man. So I've I've narrowed it down to five critics' reviews this time, rather than give you just about every review we can find. So to start off with, Skyfall in a nutshell: respecting the past and yet ensuring that Bond lasts for another fifty years. It's the first time anyone has ever noticed the cinematography in a Bond movie. Shanghai and Macau never look better. Misty Scotland, backlit by a burning mansion, is beautiful. It is a good-looking film. But so, also, I mean, it's a lot easier to do that. I'm not saying like, it is easier to do that now, with cam- the cameras you've got and stuff. Well, 
I know you can kind of see it a bit when you watch the film and kind of the talk, although he doesn't confirm this, is um, Sam Mendes, Sam Mendy. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. You may be able to correct me there, Keenan, if you know. I thought it was Mendes, no? Well, I listened to a podcast and they pronounced it differently. So I'm not, oh, I always thought it was Sam sure. Mendes. But to be fair, it, yeah, that does seem to be the case. When people pronounce uh, Santi Gazzola properly, I kind of turn my nose up, even though it is right. So he can be Sam Mendes for this point. <laughs> Santi Cafola. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not apologize. I'm not meaning to insult anyone, but no, my, no, no. my attempt at a piss poor accent is probably going to be more insulting, right? But well, yeah, I. I got well, not even that. Like I, I saw earlier that it's not pronounced Ralph Fiennes, which is Ray Fiennes. Yeah, I always thought it was, I thought it was Ray Fiennes. I thought it was Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, you just said it different to Keenan. Yeah, well, that's what it is. I, I mean, well, anyway, so apparently, despite him not confirming this. He did go into this like I'm gonna win an Academy Award with this film, uh, so Legend. that's why certain shots are in there. That's why it's a bit different to your traditional Bond film in certain aspects, which I'm sure we'll get into a little later in the pod. Um, but it is it is a beautiful looking film um, the whole way through. Uh, Skyfall may not be an existential masterpiece, but it is a near perfect action thriller that features an excellent cast highlighted by a performance that should rank Raoul Silver as one of the best Bond villains of all time. Mm. I, I, I take such issue with some of the <clears throat> reviews we do. Because, <laughs> like, no, I do, and I, I do, but at no point did this film ever try and claim it, it, it was anything like a masterpiece. At the end of the day, he, they are just making their version of a James Bond film. I get that's, what you mean. That's all they're doing. Like, at least as I, get, I said, I didn't see one saying it's not for kids this time around, which is the usual. Yeah, I just like again. You can only do you. You are you're not limited. They could have changed it completely. They could have essentially could have done it for what is it's James Bond. They probably would have been given as close to carte blanche as you get. But like, he's trying to make a James Bond film at the end of the day. The only person who might ever call one of them a masterpiece genuinely might be me. Well, we'll get into that. Um, mm. Thrilling, smart, yet slightly overlong. Skyfall is more than a film, it's a statement. Welcome back, Mr. Bond. Good review. Ultimate solace was that Bond, this guy's eyes, that Bond has gone away and he needs to make a statement to come back in. Uh, and finally, a hugely entertaining adventure that takes Bond into previously uncharted territory giving us everything we've come to expect from the 007 films and more. Did you pick that one because it said the word adventure in it and it vindicated uh, our choice? <laughs> I may have done, although on IMDb it is noted down as an adventure film, so there okay. is that too. Is it really? Yeah. Well, it's, right. it's on IMDb they don't just stick to one, so it's got like several across. But adventure uh, is one of them. Jack, you're with us. I- How's it going? You guys? Sorry, mate. Yeah. All right, mate. You've missed the critics' reviews, but nothing else. So uh, for which for which film? We're starting with Skyfall, so we're just about to get oh, to the trivia. I'll have to listen back to it. Can't wait. All right. Um, so the trivia then. I've, there's, there's still a fair bit, but I mean, we're not going as much as last week. You'll be relieved to know. Um, <laughs> so Daniel Craig actually performed the stunt of leaping and sliding down the escalator rail himself. 
if that impresses you. It just reminded me of that video that seemed to come out during the World Cup of the person falling down and uh, you saw him <laughs> hitting just about everything on the way down. <laughs> well, yeah, this is, this is the thing. Like, when I watched it, I thought, he's done that because I couldn't see them change it. So it does make perfect sense. I do always, when I go down the tube, and I always think, this would make a great slide. There's always well, that's like... why they've put their bollards in there now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, promotion for this movie, as we know, including a meeting with the Queen for the 2012 Olympics. Great promo. Yeah. Um, you, you may or may not know this. There was a bit of a uh, furore around it at the time. So the role of Kincaid was originally written with Sh- Sir Sean Connery in mind. Um, producers Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson originally wanted Connery to come out of retirement and make a surprise cameo. But uh, Sam Mendes said, there was some definite discussion around it way, way early on, but I think it'd be problematic. He says, to me, it becomes too, it would take you out of the movie, he said. Connery is Bond, and he's not going to come back as another character. It's like he's been there. There was a brief flirtation with the thought, but it was never going to happen because it would just distract you from what else was taking place on screen. I think right, they- cool. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think I look at it and you bring Sean Connery back and that film then becomes all about Sean Connery being in it and it's a bit like the David Beckham cameo in Robin in uh, King Arthur. Like, <laughs> it'll just get it'll just get plugged and it takes away from <laughs> what a brilliant film it is. Um in fifty years of James Bond movies, this is only the second one in which Bond suffers a gunshot wound. He was also shot in Thunderball nineteen sixty five during the Junkanoo chase. That surprised me. Yeah. I think he, he kind of... dodging bullets than Neo. I, th- I know. You think how many times he's been shot at as well? Like, <laughs> that ratio of shot to hit is just pretty poor. But I think, again, that added to it, didn't it? It was a bit more of a grittier bond. Yeah. He wasn't as polished. And partly down to being shot with a sniper rifle. Well... This is also the first time a character is audibly heard saying the F-word in a James Bond movie. In The Living Daylights, 1987, Timothy Dolson clearly says, for fuck's sake, but it couldn't be heard due to the plane engine noise. This movie is the first Bond to, to use it in an audible variation, and it's said by Dame Judi Dench at Skyfall Lodge. If you're going to uh, get one person to say it, let it be. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can hear that Carol I'm going off, by the way, so do mind it. Um, if you watch the scene in the Komodo dragon pit closely, you'll notice Daniel Craig has strange kind of pudgy-looking hands. Um, during filming, Craig went to the shops and bought a pair of gloves that he claimed would be perfectly fitting for 007. Uh, Sam Mendes let him wear them in the scene, and then later during editing, they realised that a big part of this scene is the fact that only he can fire the gun, which requires his handprint for it. Um, so the logic didn't add up there Um, they said essentially it would cost them too much to reshoot the scene entirely so they CGI'd in hands for Daniel Craig (laughs) that's amazing can you you imagine though the face part moment of when they actually realised yeah it seems an easy um, thing to pick up on but apparently not first casting what if Kevin Spacey was considered for Javier Bardem's role as uh, Ralph Silver. Um, 
Mendes had worked with him previously on American Beauty, and he does actually complain in that film about missing a James Bond marathon. But yeah, that was uh, very nearly the call. Kevin Spacey, he actually just couldn't do it because of scheduling conflicts, which always makes me wonder what's more important that you're doing than the one that always seems bigger. Yeah, to miss, to miss out on James Bond is just... How? What What could conflict? I think I'd move heaven and earth to be in James Bond. And I'd 2012, rate... it's probably House of Cards, isn't it? I was yeah. Of, yeah, it must have been. And I'm a big Spacey fan and I know yeah. that he's done some questionable things and probably some bad things as well, but he would make a great bad He's definitely done some bad things, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not he sure. Make, I, I think the issue was there wasn't a lot of questions. He would make a great Bond villain, though, wouldn't he? Uh, I think he makes a. Fa- I think he would have been a fantastic Raul Silver. This exact character, I think he would have been great as. I'm glad in the end. I'm real glad in the end. Yeah. Or even at the top, I think if you would have, if you would have asked me when I came out of the cinema, after watching this for the very first time, and said, "Would you swap?" I'd say no. I think. But I think Javier Bardem is. <clears throat> I, I'm going to say it, and people don't. People might disagree, but I would. <laughs> I would like to make the argument that I prefer him in this to No Country for Old Men. We'll get there, don't you worry. I'd make the argument. I'm not. I'm not 100 on it, but I. I would. I. I think if you if you put me in a corner and said I had to make the argument, I think I could make a convincing. I don't. I don't hate it. I don't hate the show. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent there. It just did just pop into my head then as I started to talk about him, but he's um, meant. <laughs> Miss Eve, Moneypenny, and M's office at the end is a direct replica of the same set from Doctor No. If, uh, for the Bond fans out there, hmm. uh, the promotional time with Heineken Lager, if you can remember this around the time, Christ, uh, it was valued at being worth around twenty-eight million pounds, uh, forty-five million American. Um, the product placement obviously caused a lot of controversy in the media, saying that they lacked integrity for doing so. Um, they also had Daniel Craig appearing in a Heineken ad. They said it was disrespectful to James Bond's traditional drink, but the uh, producers argued you don't get a film like this uh, without some additional funding, and so needs must. I remember working for Heineken when he was, I think <laughs> I might have even said this on this. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. They did a personal James Bond message to the Heineken Christmas party. Oh, that car alarm stopped. Um, this is the first James Bond movie to make over a billion at the box office. Big uh, boy film, big boy numbers. I know. One billion. Sheesh. I know, Jack, you always point towards uh, the, the realness with uh, the guns they're firing and the way they shoot them, for example. Um, so at the end, when James Bond is using his dad's hunting rifle, uh, they say it's an extremely powerful ele- elephant gun. And during the final shootout, he's shown firing it from the hip. I saw um, that. He, he, he almost certainly wouldn't be able to stand still and fire that from the hip. They say a shot placed at centre mass would explode the entire chest cavity and likely blow the target's arms out of the shoulders. So it would have made for a darker film. But <laughs> clearly, they didn't go down that route. Yeah, imagine that's the way that Bond goes. Of all the ways to have been yeah. trying, blows his own arms off. Uh, during the final assault on Skyfall Lodge, the downdraft from the helicopter uh, was so powerful that, that it blew the false teeth out of Javier Bardem's mouth. <laughs> uh, 
Um, this is the only James Bond movie where there's no leading Bond girl. Uh, Judy Dench has the pivotal female role, but obviously no romantic relationship with Bond that we know of. That we know. Uh, in the Macau casino scene, uh, fuck or two, however you want to pronounce that, um, one of the high stakes gamblers from Casino Royale can be seen playing billiards in the background. Mm, nice. Did not a crossover either. there. Yeah. Um, this is the first James Bond movie in which the villain is successful in completing his primary objective, which was killing M in this case. A bit of trivia on that. Does that does that is that reason enough performance aside for him to be the, the greatest Bond villain? It could very well be. And finally, M's death is foreshadowed in the opening credits. Uh, Dame Judy Dench's credit is displayed over a graveyard. Hmm, nice. So there is your trivia. Um, I do have some specific talking points for us. The first thing that occurred to me. Do you think after seeing some of these films, you'd be equipped to spot a bad guy? Because the ones in the casino do stand out like a sore thumb. If you've got kind of a room full of everyone playing on these games, and then you've got three burly men in suits not doing anything but just staring around at you, (laughs) you could probably assume they're bad guys without being told that. Yeah, that's probably fair. It's like the dangers that used to go in the suits to nightclubs when we were like 18 and like <laughs> the bar. You just look at them, you're like, you're so out of place. I know Keenan and Jack in particular, I'm not sure about you, Sean, are Bond fans outside of just kind of these Daniel Craig or Pierce Brosnan ones. Um, if we go to you first, Keenan, do you appreciate the nods to the other films in this kind of... Uh, saying they've moved past exploding pens, the Aston Martin is the getaway car, and the Jaws-esque kind of mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, The Aston Martin, I appreciate at any time. If I win, like, I swear, if I'm ever one day lucky enough to win the lottery, a DB5 will be my first purchase. Yeah, I've I've said exactly the same thing. Do you you play the lottery? Because I say this and don't play the lottery. No, I'm the exact same, which is why yeah. I said if I'm ever if I'm ever lucky. Enough, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I'm one of those guys who picks the up one a million, t- the one time you play, <laughs> yeah, someone buys me a ticket for my birthday or something daft like that, or, or whatever it is, like a, a scratch card that's got a million pound jackpot if such a thing exists. I don't think it does. Did you imagine but, though? Oh, sorry, carry on. No, go on, mate. Go on. I was going to say, could you imagine though if you're the person who bought a lottery ticket for someone on their birthday? And they won, and then they didn't give you any of it either. <laughs> That'd be ruthless. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. Also, feel like something that Byron would do potentially. No, I wouldn't. I won a t- I won a tenner the first two times I did the lottery, and it was downhill from there. I have never <laughs> bought my. Oh no, that's true. I, I, that's not true. I was going to say I've never bought myself a lottery ticket. I've never gone out of my way to buy myself a lottery ticket. The only time I've ever played it is I occasionally one and if I'm. Go to the shops, buy a packet of fags or something. I'm like, fancy grabbing us a couple, a couple of lucky dips on the lottery, and then I will just add one onto it. The first time I did it, I did the numbers from Lost for those who watched it four eight fifty twenty three forty two, and part of me thought, if I win, I'm going to be so shook. And <laughs> you it actually don't would want to win. Yeah, and I got three numbers on it, and then uh, I got three numbers the second week, and then yeah, downhill from there. It put, put me off though working in the co-op because people would come in. There's people that will spend like 20 quid a week on lottery. 
mm-hmm. and then not check the ticket until the following week when they come in and hand over all of their tickets and ask you to put them through the machine and then not trust you enough because you might see that they've won and try and pocket the ticket but they'll ask for all of them back every time <laughs> as well and they'll come in about 10 minutes before the cutoff on a Saturday and complain that you're not hurrying up enough when you've got a big queue nightmares <laughs> Jack what did you think about the kind of nods to previous Bond films I absolutely loved it and again I'm just going to echo Keenan that DB5 is just the the way that it's unveiled as well is a thing of beauty where they open up the container and it's just the old school the old school Bond and it's just there and you're just like oh my fucking god this is the best thing ever um, do you think with that kind of they do some of these almost to make the people that aren't big Bond fans feel like they've caught the reference because as I said my Bond introduction is Pierce Brosnan I don't go too far back I've not watched all the Sean Connery Roger Moore's but you I should. know the Aston Martin reference and so when I see that I'm like oh no I, I get that reference kind of thing I'm, I'm in on in it on achieves it achieves both so it is that that's probably the reason behind it. Was oh, we'll use the most obvious James Bond references. Joey does actually drink a martini and, and things like that. Yeah. So you will use the most obvious ones. But for uh, any more subtle ones, but also for people who have loved it over the years, it's a uh, oh shit, there's the DB5. Do you know? Or because they could have chosen Eddie. They could have chosen any of the Aston Martins that he's driven. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so it's for the ones who have been around for that that long who are then watching it and this is your this is your 23rd Bond film yeah. and you've seen each and every one of them it, 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 it's a it's a nod for everyone and it? it's not just for the to make you feel as though you're in, yeah. in on it because the mouthpiece that... on him is good as well sorry Joe yeah I was just going to say there's that horrible period during the Pierce Brosnan era where he had that deal with BMW mm. and he <laughs> driving BMWs around and it just felt so wrong Pierce Brosnan wanted to uh, break away, maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know what order to do this in. Okay, another way then. So, what do you think of the way they portray Bond in this? Because throughout the 2010s, we've seen kind of various iterations of this, maybe in superhero films more so. Like recently, we've had Ben Affleck's Batman. Iron Man 3 is kind of similar, where essentially a, a portion of it is they're tired of having to save the day, they're tired of kind of being the saviour, putting their body through it and that kind of thing. You get this a bit with him where he's run down, he can't fire a gun the way he wants to, he kind of doubting himself. And I guess there's only so many different ways you can do bombs, so for a director to be able to put that spin on it, they must have appreciated it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, 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 I'm a big fan. Because uh, once they, they take in Casino Royale, as, as you reboot, if you will, they they have the option to do it rather than just it being blind. It gives you a character depth. I'm not saying Piers Brosnan liked it a little bit, but um, it's just an easy target to pick on, unfortunately. But it gives you a depth of character like where you can see the struggles of the past films. And to have it as... You said it perfectly there when you said depth of character because I know this script was kind of rewritten a couple of times. Um, They actually... uh, MGM went bankrupt when they were doing this script, which is why it took longer to come out. Mm. Um, and once they confirmed uh, Sam Mendes on it, he actually asked to take out some of the action scenes to improve the character development instead, because mm. that's what he really wanted to focus on. And 
build on what they'd started in Casino Royale and that he thought maybe they'd got away from. They saw the reaction to Quantum of Solace and literally got him yeah. on the phone straight away and was like, come and do your thing. It is, I, I don't know, I, like, I do love James Bond, but there are certain James Bond films that might, may as well be standalone films in that they, they are, they're not particularly story centric, but this really is from the villain's motives other than money, etc etc there's a backstory to the motives uh, and then there's a you get a feel of bond it was i think if they would have done this without quantum solace no it sounds bad but and then they would have changed slight bits about spectra where mr white's involved you you would have a, a very good trilogy of films pre pre and no time to die yeah it's a bold way to go about it as well because you are taking away from what they're used to like the shock when South Park started drifting away from every episode being its own entity. Mm. And I still don't like it, but... Still not James fun? Bond, no, not really. Because uh, I, I, do, I, I do quite, quite like, like just it. chucking a random episode on. And if you don't like the way the story is going, you are kind of stuck. Mm. Um, but with, with these James Bond ones, they're kind of keeping some going on while it's still being kind of a separate story as well, aren't they? So they're kind of getting the best of both worlds out of it. Yeah, they bring the characters along for the ride. Yeah. The other characters then that are big features in this, do you want to talk about Emil or um, Ralph Silver first? Your choice. Oh, I only got one question about him. So okay. do, you, do you think she gets off lightly in the audience eyes in this? Because essentially she does sell, sell Silver down the river. She does cause a lot of this. And we are expected to feel bad for her at the end. Uh, you are expected to feel bad for her. But, I mean, in fairness, true to character, from the opening, I feel generous calling it a scene because it's like 12 minutes long, but we'll call it a scene for the purpose of this. In the opening she- scene, the guy you're led to believe is her best agent, she is willing to sacrifice him on a dime. That one, is, I think, is a bit different, though, because the way she tells it with the silver one, I do quite like that they don't give you the whole story, so you don't really get the true picture because you've just got both their takes of it yeah she essentially says look he was hacking the chinese we had the chance to get some of our other agents out cleanly so we just uh, no that's not that's not what she says she says the handle oh, yeah. was coming up so it was 97 so it would have been the time where okay. they were hand, and hand says, in hong, they were handing hong kong back which they wanted massive. to do it cleanly and so mm. they kind of yeah they she saw a chance to sort saw, saw a chance and she took it which yeah i get as the director of MI6, you are going to come across some times where you have to make difficult decisions. I mean, if you if you look back at when James Bond got captured in the Pierce Brosnan days and stuff like that, it, it just goes to show that as much as they may have affection for each other, they will still do the job. And it's that kind of country over other over everything else, really, isn't it? Did that and make that, it easier for you when President Palmer did it to Bauer? Um. But it didn't actually happen in the end like that, did it? So we were okay. Is it? We're talking season two here. Not sure. What Spoilers, yeah. Was. Spoilers. Well, that's why I'm trying not to say too much. But yeah, no. Um, he does go away for a little bit. Yeah, that does. That was hard. But okay. See, so, yeah, my thinking was she, she she gets off a bit lightly. Um, I mean, she does die, so maybe not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so with. Uh, Ralph Silver, Xavier Bardem, then. So, kind of, how how good is he? I think it's brilliant the way they bring him in, the kind of TV style villain entrance 
walking slowly the conversation starts at the back of the room so you only kind of get him in full focus by the time he is uh, kind of three quarters of the way through his story and it is just such a menacing way to do it and for his type of villain that isn't kind of machismo that kind of thing it works really well I think Yeah, it, um, it does. It's a good, it's a good kind of tense build up to it, and then the whole scenery behind it as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a very good scene. His voice as well is just perfect. It gives you kind of uh, Commodus vibes, and he's a bit more hands-on than uh, Commodus is in Gladiator. But just the way that they almost kind of acknowledge that they aren't the brute force which makes them a bit more menacing in the, in the long run. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you, you said about No Country for Old Men, Keenan. You, you've got to think Sam Mendes sits at home, watches that. Whether he knew he was no, going to be I doing that in the guy. future or not. Yeah, he literally... Yeah, that, I don't need to ask. Well, obviously does. If I was... Spacey, but... <laughs> if I was making a film... I mean, so this was 2012. I, I, I don't know how long the overture was to Sam Mendes was. I imagine the convoy station went, fans doing James Bond? Yes, please. Like we were talking about Spacey, I, you'd almost, like, I, I've never made a film, but I would, you would be, almost drop everything. But if I was watching yeah. a film around that time and I was involved in anything that wanted a villain and it was big budget, he would, he, he'd, he'd still leap into where now, to be honest, and we're talking nine years out from this and... 13, 14 years maybe from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, you he's don't still think that's 2007, No Country for Old Men. You don't think he's on set thinking, crossed, I wish we'd got Spacey. No, this is, no. You watch that, I mean, oh, like that, as I say, I feel bad now that I've said it, but if the thought did pop into my head. But maybe, maybe, could, maybe that would work. It's a lot more um, camp. No, well, even No Country for Old Men, a lot of it is what he doesn't say is kind of more than what he does. And in this one, he has several great speeches that I'm sure when we get on to best scene will be candidates. His scene just yeah. to enter the one about rats and mm-hmm. his one when he's in the chamber and he's explaining about what cyanide does to your body. He just nails it. I don't think you could have wished for anyone better. In my head beforehand, I'd actually got the film confused with Spectre. Oh, uh, so, you're expecting Christopher Watts. I kind of realised once we'd got into it, but I've, I, I've forgotten just how good he was. I'd, I'd only seen this once at the cinema, this film. Mm-hmm. And I could definitely see me re-watching at least certain scenes um, far more frequently now, because I've watched... The, his his opening scene at least three times today. <laughs> I've seen. I, I I think I've seen every James Bond film more than once, but that is. But like I say, it is because I do love them. But this is, this is a special villain even in the history. Yeah, it's just. It's quite nice to see someone that. Their their aims feel within reach. Uh, they're not saying I want to nuke half the world. Their, their expectations do fit the film and it, it, you're not going to get an Austin Powers star finale where they're mocking it and he's going to press a big red button to do it. He quite literally no. wants to kill this woman and 
everyone that's around it. Mm. Yeah. It is. It is a name. That's his aim. The rest of it is. He talks about taking down, uh, it, like taking down a multinational by crashing the stock price, or he says he the, uh, de- yeah. <laughs> and it's all very much means to an end. I actually, I think this is the best Bond film for non-Bond fans. I think, yeah. I mean, because it's the 50th anniversary, it's like quintessentially British. Like, I know there's some parts out of the UK. But the majority of it is filmed in London, in Scotland, and like references to the old kind of yeah empire territory. They have a whole thing oh. about Parliament, don't they? And we need to stand kind of face to face with the people that we represent. He says, yeah. One thing I don't know how uh, the rest of you feel. How do you feel about the way they moved the story from London to Scotland and the, the Skyfall residents? Because do you think it's seamless or do you think it's a bit forced? Like, we're going to set this trailer crumbs and now we're going to go. I don't think so. Again, they wanted to get in his kind of roots and his heritage. And that's where it was all born, essentially. Yeah, it kind of just came but, out of nowhere. I wasn't. I didn't yeah, I think I probably, I probably agree with you. Like, it does feel like potentially it does sort of come out of nowhere and they just maybe rest like a little a bit. But then, rather than kind of just continuing. Yeah, but then also obviously they are they are time constraints, so it's like it's not like yeah. a long series. So I guess they're kind of stuck in what they can do. But yeah, I do agree. I guess as well though, you got to look at it that this guy is so technically advanced. This is more so going back to the wilderness, going back to offline tools like old weapons, old car, old house, like bringing the battle onto a battlefield in which they can compete in because he was so advanced when it came to technology. So I guess that's the juxtaposition between a bustling city of London and the Scottish wilderness. That scene where he um, he realises that he's kind of been double played and he's hacking in with the plugged in laptop. That's the only film, that's the only scene I would think I would change if if any, because you've got Q that's supposed to be this kind of whiz mastermind. And then the code that it is just looks strange for what it is. And then James Bond, who's out of sorts, spots like a word search at the bottom of the page, tells him to type it in. And then it spins to this, this load of red lines. And he's like, well, that's a map of London. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I think I, I would agree with you on this because if you think something can be a harm to the entire MI6 network, you're not hardwiring it into the network, are you? I think like your first port of call is never, you know what, let's just plug it in and see how it goes. Do you think his style of hacking, like the, the images that come up on the screen, for a guy that seems very plain, straight down the middle, kind of, it's, it's, I don't see him as being that kind of guy, almost like cartoonists on the page. Yeah, I do feel like that was a bit strange. I'm also I feel like sure... that more. Sorry, I felt like that was more fitting with um, Christoph Waltz's villain character. I'm not sure the head of security either. When it gets a thing pop up on the screen saying "click here," it's like, all right, yeah, I'll just <laughs> yeah. move my mouse and click here. <laughs> <laughs> I think he perhaps shouldn't be the one in control. I think like everyone of an older generation, which I imagine people who kind of were involved in designing this was 
think that computer hackers are still like living in 2002 when a virus comes up this thing pops up saying haha you've been hacked by such (laughs) and this has a lot of airs of that where an old person's thought oh yeah this is what happens when you get hacked when in fact the whole point of hacking is to ensure they don't know it i guess because it's well, what, what I was thinking, I know that he wants to be chasing away, but the whole reason he's done this is to get away. Why would he alert them to the fact that, oh yeah, I've got away. And how did he know? I just don't get how he knew the codes that would open every door. And why does every door have to be electronic? He was in a, if he was this in is a, one of these uh, things in spy films. If he was in a cell that just had a locking key, he'd be fucked. If they put him in the wrong bed. Yeah. If they put him but in a broom then, cupboard, he'd be more safe. I mean, about a month ago, we did Law Abiding Citizen, where he's buried into almost every cell in isolation. <laughs> so he's had less work to do here. Um, how much would it hinder you in that opening mission? You, you're trying to get on with things, and you've got Judy Dench just whinging in your ears, going, you've got to get this done. That's not being very helpful. So, yeah, there's... I guess you can kind of attribute it to your own work, can't you? I guess it may be a little bit less high stakes. But you've got well, someone, on, it's, someone on your back all day. Just you gets... see, um, like boxers sometimes, and there's a great Mike Perry interview where he says about his corner screaming, "Come forward, come forward, come forward!" And he's like, "Well, you're not the one in there." He's like, "You come forward and take the punches <laughs> if it's that easy." And I imagine this is the case here when they just got her just bitching in their ears. Um, I've got. It was odd seeing Bond in joggers in Adidas Gazelles when he's doing his training. That caught me a bit off guard. Yeah, I I saw that too. Got one got the stony on. Yeah, one thing that did stand out for me. So Severine says she's a survivor of a kind of sex trafficking ring, whatever it is, and Bond's response is to sneak up on her in the shower. <laughs> like, it's just a weird it was just a weird scene like, I, I don't I, know why it went like that like, the usual Bond thing would be say he knocks at the door she answers they start kissing and this thing carries on like it was just they just had this heart to heart about how she needs to be saved you've never seen a villain like this and he's very quickly almost in a different way to usual does the kind of use and abuse Bond style onto the next because he uses it to get on to get to the villain and then I mean she she's shot in the head and all for what he's just go along with this and she's also snuck up on in the shower in the process. Yeah that now you've pointed it out that is rather odd. It's literally one scene it's literally the next scene as well. They show her in on the boat by herself, and then the next scene is he snuck up on her in the shower. Maybe you should try <laughs> it, Byron, see if it works. I'm not sure I've got uh, Daniel Craig's looks even to be uh, some kind of consolation. <laughs> Keenan, I've got a question. Just Keenan, in, yeah, I have to say, in, in real world, I was always going to end like, what the fuck are you doing in here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Drifting> out. <laughs> it's never going to work out as it works. Um. Keenan, in the future, would you rather see Christopher Nolan or Tarantino direct a future Bond film? Tarantino. Do you think he does Bond justice? 
I'm not sure. Uh, but no, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think you'd lose, unfortunately, to Tarantino. I think you'd lose some of the the charm by letting him do it. But there is also a part of me that just wants to see James Bond fuck up everyone that's in his is just everyone he comes into contact with. Because <laughs> he's been quite outwardly spoken, hasn't he? Saying like he would love to direct one. Yeah, I don't know. I think you might lose some of the charm, but if, you, if you're given the chance to do it, just say, look, it's going to be a bit like Kill Bill. Just take away the cartoon and the black and white scenes and all of your Art Vogue stuff. It's James Bond fucking people up for two hours. That's it. <laughs> Done. Uh, what about you, Jack? Because I know you're a Christopher Nolan man. Mm. I don't need to see James Bond having dreams within dreams within dreams. No. Well, I... Mendes says he takes a lot of inspiration from I, uh, I would the Dark Knight probably... films for this. I would probably say that if there's, an, if there's a director out there that I'd want other than Sam Mendes at the moment, it would probably be Christopher Nolan. But probably be very complex. Like you wouldn't get a Pierce Brosnan style Bond film, would you? No, you, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I think like with James Bond, you just kind of leave it to the end. I wouldn't. It's, it's like with football teams. Like you look at the team when it comes out, and you think oh, I could have done a better job there. Whereas James Bond, I just want pure enjoyment. Like you do your thing. I will yeah. trust you that it's good. I just leave me out of the decision process, <laughs> as if they would ask me in the first place. The only other thing I had down that irked me was um, like they're trying to hide when they're trying to escape kind of the burning building, and they're using a torch. Like there's literally no one else around. Surely, Kincaid and uh, um, their eyes can last for a little bit to just walk in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I suppose they're old. She's been shot. Got to do what you got to do. Well, yeah, do got to do what you got to do. You got eat your carrots eat your carrots well what's he gonna he's either gonna be stopping for a fucking for a free course meal they got to prep for these situations what 60 years what 60 years in the past when their eyes would have somewhat worked look they've got to put up with it in my opinion they've got a what? massive burning building to light things up a little bit and they're what trotting away with a big torch what i don't get as well is that like right going to hide in the only landmark in for miles and miles around like if they'd gone in and sat in a field, they would not have been found. But if they, it's like, oh no, it's the only building for 10 miles. I wonder where they could be. It's <laughs> the first place they're going to look. Yeah. I mean, if if we go on to the um, categories. So, rewatchability for this. Um, it is two, just under two and a half hours long. Do you think it's one that you rewatch start to finish or you kind of you've got your set pieces and maybe you go back and watch those more than the whole film? What do you think, Sean? Um I think I'll probably come somewhere somewhere in between. I don't know if it I, I feel like some of the other bomb films are probably more fit in the category of I'll just watch this particular scene or like Casino Royale Casino Royale, for example, like the chase opening scene I'd watch, the casino scene you'd watch, that kind of thing. Whereas this one, I think, is more... So I think it's a better film, but possibly not the key points. But then also, as I said, it's not not the most rewatchable film ever either. I'd probably watch it maybe you know, probably a couple of years, maybe. Three, four years. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in between, to be honest. Polar opposite here, Keenan. How rewatchable do you think this is? <laughs> 
I'll get it on now if you want. <laughs> I'll leave the pod and I'll just go and put it on now, and I'm absolutely fine with it. <laughs> I think I think I did that for Harold and Kumar. I think I did watch Harold and Kumar while we did the pod on it. Um, Gary, I ask you, Jack, what do you think? Rewatchability for Skyfall? I think I've watched it. It's definitely three times in the last twelve months, if not four. So it is up there with one of the films that never really gets old for me. Well, I can definitely see myself rewatching. I mean, just just some of the sights in it for a start are just yeah, are just nice to look at. Because <laughs> it's like I, I always go. I was thinking I'll have a James Bond marathon where I'll go through all of them, and then once you've started one, you have to watch the rest. So if you just if you catch the end of like Casino Royale and it's been played on TV, you think, oh, I've got to watch all of them now. And I end up doing that. Just last thing before we move on to uh, King Arthur. So there's a lot of rewatchable scenes in this. Um, the ones that stand out for me, a, a lot are kind of on the island and they kind of shoot out where he wants to shoot the shot glass off, off her head. Just a little speech before that, the tension you have there. His speech, the rat speech, um, as he introduces himself, I guess the opening scene as well. And there's there's a lot in this. Um, what's your favourite, Keenan? Um, I don't know. May, maybe Bardem's introduction, although the opening chase is fucking unbelievable as well. If you're talking about Joe, you said is it rewatchable to watch a scene? Yeah, just go and watch that for for ten minutes of film. Yeah. It's unreal. But yeah, I'll give it, to have a motor, motorbike chase, isn't it? Uh, over roofs, fight on a train, someone gets shot. So they paid to have all of those uh, roofs uh, resurfaced before they started and afterwards, just so mm. they didn't damage the integrity of them, because there was a lot of complaints about whether they should be filming on such old buildings. Yes. I can imagine there was. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go when you first meet when you first meet Raoul Silver. Well, good the this, the choices of where they travel to in this. Like they aren't going from like Australia to Russia to like. There's it's a lot more condensed and makes a lot more sense when they're doing the traveling in this one. Do you think? I would say so more than some others where it's like, how did you get here? Like. <laughs> No, I, I I get it for I get that for the most part, but I mean, Istanbul. In, in previous to, Bond films, they would have escaped to Antarctica rather than Scotland. Yeah, I, I get I get that part, I suppose. But I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of travel in this film. It starts in Istanbul, to unnamed island, to London, to Shanghai, to Macau, to Ireland, London, Scotland. It's so a fair, fair old whack of travelling, yeah. to be fair. I mean, I don't know if he, if James Bond has got any air miles, but he, he, he certainly would have accrued a few throughout, throughout this. <laughs> What's the best on scene for you, Jack? On BA as well, of course. <laughs> exactly. What's the best scene for you, Jack? Oh, sorry, I didn't hear that. Um, <clears throat> it's hard to pick one. I'm a fan of Mallory taking the bullet and you kind of see him in action. Um, and then there's that showdown inside the hearing with them, and they've got to get out. That's pretty cool. But I'm all, I mean, it's got, I have to say, for pure enjoyment on the train when he's in the digger. He's <laughs> like, right. that's awesome. Well, 
we'll save yours, Sean, and we'll save mine because we're going to get on to King Arthur. So, synopsis. A demystified take on the tale of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. What are you expecting here for the critics' reviews, Sean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully all good. If I was writing them, they would be. Um, you definitely didn't write these. <laughs> I'll start you off. Summer action fair with just enough intelligence to put it above the mindless action films that usually litter multiplexes this time of year. <laughs> very backwards compliment. <laughs> yeah. um, Clive Owen is a very dour plonker of an Arthur and has zero chemistry with Kira Knightley. Jesus. First time I've seen plonker in a movie review. <laughs> the track record for film adaptations of the Arthur mythos is pretty shaky, but this is still the worst of them all. This did come out before Guy Ritchie one, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Um, Little did they know. <laughs> it nods in the direction of tons of potentially interesting developments of plot, theme, and character, but doesn't bother to follow through on any of them to, enough to pay off. It starts out Robin Hood and ends up Braveheart, but mostly it just makes you want to watch Gladiator again. <laughs> And finally, tops among the numerous absurdities in King Arthur is Kira Knightley's appearance in what might be best described as elfin gear. Elfin gear? Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. Uh, if you go, if you do just Google what she's wearing, it is very elfish. Um, got some good trivia for this for a film where I wasn't expecting too much. So, uh, and I've checked this, how to pronounce this. Yoan Grufford, who played Lancelot, was spotted curling his eyelashes by Ray Winston one morning before shooting. Winston spread the words and Grufford earned the nickname Sir Lashalot for the duration of the shoot. Also, a nickname I've been given, Sean. <laughs> Not because of my eyelashes, I don't think. <laughs> um, now, here's a great bit of trivia for you. The horse ridden by boars in the film is the same horse that was ridden by Maximus in Gladiator. That is a great bit of trivia. Four years that's later. Re- that's some resume for that horse. Yeah. Um, that although, the weather, although the weather <laughs> may seem cold and dreary, the movie was shot during near record high temperatures in Ireland. That's a bit of a bastard having to run around in all that gear, <laughs> Um. After several poor test screenings, the producers became concerned that there wasn't enough humour in the film. On June 16th, 13 days before the US premiere, the scene in which Bors reveals that his numerous children have numbers instead of names was shot and added. And that was enough. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to just cover all the rest of it. <laughs> uh, Clive Owen got the role of King Arthur after Russell Crowe, Mel Gibson and Hugh Jackman turned it down. When Anton Fuqua took over the project, he wanted Daniel Craig to play Arthur but was overruled by producer Jerry Bruckheimer, who believed that Clive Owen was going to be cast as the next James Bond, and this would greatly increase the film's commercial shelf life on DVD. Oh, wow. How's that for a bit of trivia? Uh, that is amazing trivia. wonder if, if Craig had got this job, then Owen would have been Bond. I can see Clive Owen as James Bond more than I can see Daniel Craig as King Arthur. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I could have seen Owen, especially following Brosnan as well. Yeah. There's a couple of quotes you can get from him where I think he thinks he's going to get the job. But obviously, he doesn't play out that way. Um, In an interview with Express Magazine on the 24th of July 2004, uh, Kira Knightley says that her breasts were digitally enhanced on the American movie posters to make them appear larger and that any woman with less than a C-cup is not acceptable overseas. Jeez. She wasn't happy. Yeah, that wouldn't fly, not in this day and age. Um, this, is, this is the biggest one for me. So the film was originally envisioned and shot as an R-rated film with corresponding graphic violence. However, after the picture had been edited, Disney executives demanded it be changed to a PG-13, hence necessitating a lot of the effects work to remove the blood from the battle scenes. Director Antoine Fuqua and Jerry Bruckheimer were not at all pleased with the decision and fought against it, but were ultimately overruled. Um, they were both disappointed with the theatrical release, and they did later release a more violent director's cut, which I believe three of us watched this week. I'm not sure which one Keenan saw, but even then, it's a bit more toned down to what you'd usually expect from this type of film. There's a director's um, cut? Yeah. it was. How long was the one you watched? Ask me another one. I can't remember. I want to say so, 120. So that sounds right. That that's something. The, the director's one literally says director's cut at the start. So oh yeah, that wasn't that wasn't one I watched. So he actually spoke about this years later. I think maybe there was some things had been put to bed, and he could start talking about it again. But he essentially says like the point of the director's cut is when you filmed all the footage and it's just something that hasn't been included. He was like we were told it was going to be PG-13 far earlier. So making the director's cut for what I wanted and the PG-13 footage we shot isn't quite the same as shooting the R-rated stuff and then releasing a director's cut down the line. So, yeah, he says he wasn't happy with it. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, When the film was released, one of the biggest criticisms was that the battles were mysteriously bloodless, undermining any sense of realism. Kira Knightley reportedly nearly killed a horse while practicing her archery for this film. <laughs> They've kind of made something like it's a joke as if she hasn't nearly killed a horse. Mm. Yeah, um, that's true. I feel like that's been glossed over for a while. <laughs> the plot to this movie, wherein a battle weary elite team must go behind enemy lines to rescue someone of importance as their final mission, is nearly identical to the plot of director Antoine Fuqua's previous movie. Tears of the Sun, 2003. And the original director for this film was Michael Bay, but he left the project due to budget concerns. He developed the project <laughs> for over five years prior. Wow. <laughs> of course, there was budget concerns when it comes to the big man. <laughs> I, I just love to see this film, like an 18-wheeler, just <laughs> essentially like a massive carriage the whole budget they use on this film is for just that massive wall they've built they built it a kilometre long it took four months Christ what, like the one that so the axe of Hadrian's wall yeah Jesus. and that was literally what they spent the majority of their budget on so <laughs> I can maybe understand why Michael Bay wasn't too thrilled there. So, Sean, we will go to you first, um, because I think I know everyone's thoughts on this. Um, 
The film replaces the sword in the stone story with a more dark and tragic backstory of how Arthur claimed his sword Excalibur. If you take away even how the film plays out, do you think that's a mistake to not at least go that way to have him retrieving his sword? No, I, I like it. I like that it's different. I don't like the, as I said, the, the, the mystical kind of version of it. See, I quite like it. Obviously, they, they still show that scene of where he's like pulling it out. Yeah. When family's out. So you, you have a little nod to it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I quite like it myself. They do come out after and say, essentially, the way they said that this is all just the truth about Arthur, like, the majority of it is just theories by a Celtic historian. So, they didn't... Oh, yeah, the go... story is, it's not really necessarily a true story, is it? It's just well, they claim at the start, they say that more believable. the story from all the facts that they do have. Yeah. Which, a little the other way. Um, do any of you play the video game for this. I saw today there was a game on PS2, Xbox, GameCube and mobile phone. Uh, no, I no, I did not. Which no. you play as all of, the, all of the, the, the main knights or the yeah gladiators or whatever you want to call them. Uh, no, so yeah, you, you play like as all of those characters in the game. But Yeah, it sounds like it's got the potential because obviously Lord of the Rings Return of the King yeah. would have been out around a similar time, wouldn't it? So Yeah. So if you want to dig your PS2 out then you can probably find it somewhere. Okay. Keenan, so I read there that the blood was a kind of a major turn off for some people. Would much more blood have made a difference to how you'd view this film? Would it change much for you? I, I honestly don't think it does. It doesn't impact the story or uh, anything of that nature. I mean, the film still looks. Still, I feel, still think it looks okay. Like, I wouldn't... It sounds odd, and it probably sounds as though I'm not watching a film properly, but maybe because I'm just expecting there to be... Blood can be there, or it can be not. It has to... Like, you, I mean, I'm talking, like, gallons. I'm talking tar- for yeah. me to read, oh, it's a lot of blood. It has to be, like, Tarantino-esque Reservoir Dogs, where Tim Roth's in the car, and the shirt sticking to him, there's that much fake blood, do you know, or, yeah, or yeah. Kill Bill, where it's done cartoonish and she's lopping, lopping heads off and it's it's firing everywhere. So I, it didn't change too much for me. I think Spartacus changed the way I view films like the, the scenes like this because their gladiatorial scenes are so good and so brutal that anything else does kind of pale in comparison. But Never seen it. All the times I'd watched it previously, you'd love it. Um, all the times I'd watched this film previously... A lack of blood had never been something that stood out to me, so mm. I can't say it really affected my viewing of the film. Now, Jack, I know of the four of us, I think you've got the least uh, attachment to this film. But we'll say you hadn't seen it before, so you, you perhaps don't have the uh, nostalgia factor there. But was the blood a standout thing for you? I don't think the blood is such. I didn't feel like I missed it. I didn't feel like that was the reason that I wasn't as keen on it. I just thought that there were parts of it that really like caught my attention. Like, there were scenes I did enjoy, I didn't, but there was also long parts of it that completely didn't grab my attention. And I thought some of the story building was slow. Um, 
I, I may have, I mean, I did give you the director's cut there, so there's like 20 minutes extra, but... Yeah, no, and again, if it's a director's cut where they've cut out all the R-rated bits, where it's like the battle scenes and stuff, I, I imagine that... No, because uh, you've, you've got more, if anything. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I was, no, I was just going to say that if that's what's added in, they would have still had the non-gory bits, or the majority of them, probably, the, the story-building bits in the normal one, but like, I just think for me, if I'm going to be picking a film of that genre, there's better ones to watch. And again, like you said, I didn't have that nostalgia factor because I haven't watched it before. Um, this is Sean's favourite of all time, he says. I know, it's why I'm going very careful. I'm not going a, a full never back down on it. And I don't think it was that, <laughs> and I don't think it was as bad as that by any stretch, by the way. I thought it just wasn't... When you've got Lord of the Rings, it, what I picked up on the most is that Game of Thrones basically based their entire vision of the North and the Wildlands on this film. Uh, constantly talking about North of the Wall, constantly talking about the Wolds as opposed to the Wildlands, like the King Beyond the Wall, all, that, all this stuff. It was like it was like I was watching Game of Thrones. It was crazy. Um, yeah, I just, it was lacking something for me, I feel. I think even like... The battle scenes, there was a lot of slow motion. Ah, I don't. I, don't, I, I think, think that's a sign two, of the times. I think one or two of them's fine, but a lot, there was a lot. I'm not sure. I mean, you like John Wick, and half of that is slow motion. Yeah, but it's not the same kind of like. It's how I would have directed a film if I directed it that, like the age I was in 2004. There's lots of screaming. But. I feel like there were some parts of it that were really good. So I thought I liked the battle scene at the end for the most part. I like a lot of the interactions and I like the, the, the summation knights story of they're like damned because they're such good warriors. I think that's a really good storyline. The cast too... is insane. Like it's aged wonderfully. Yeah, yeah that has. And I really Even like, like you've got like Mads Mikkelsen in, in, in a side role, um, Joel Egerton. Yeah. These aren't guys that should be on the back burner. No, agreed. Like, I, I do believe it is good in that part. I just feel that... Like, I feel this could have been a whole different film if it didn't include King Arthur. I don't think you needed to call him King Arthur. I don't, Merlin didn't need to be the leader of the Celts. You could have called I'll be honest, I don't think Merlin's needed film. in the... That's what's aged worse for me, the Merlin bit. I don't really... Once you tone down the Excalibur bit, and obviously he does magic, but not to the extent that he does other things. Yeah, you're right. He does, he's not he's not needed. He's referred to no, as like stuff, but he isn't. I like him in it purely because it was it only took this time to when I fairly realised that it's Glenn Foy from Goal. <laughs> it's Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know what you mean. It's kind of like that. Just feel like it's an added added part obviously they yeah. Merlin and the soldiers they have a relevant part to play they, they help them yeah. win the battle obviously but yeah it feels like it's just added in because we feel like we have to have Merlin in I, I yeah, feel, that, yeah that's exactly what it is mate yeah, yeah. I, I feel like if they'd named this like king something else Arturius they, yeah they didn't go along the lines of King Arthur because I just I, I didn't I, <laughs> your criticism being I don't think King Arthur should have been about King Arthur is it <laughs> yeah. I, I know I know what I'm trying, in my head I'm trying to say is I, I feel like it would have been a better film if it didn't have 
the constraints of you need to just fit loads of King Arthur yes. references into. The it didn't Roman. have the mythology behind it, and it was a. I used the word lo- loosely, but if it was a unique story, you think it's more enjoyable. That yeah, I think that would be it. I feel like I don't. I don't agree, but I. I but I do really like this film. But I. I do. I. I understand what you mean. There are bits I, that you could take out because they are there for to pay service to 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 things. Yeah, because I don't I, quite know how I feel about because King Arthur being set with Romans and Saxons and stuff because it's so you're you're using real history to try and define a myth and I and I get it because well, it's they're like, claiming this is this, the real history. Yeah, well, this is this is the whole thing about it, and it, it, it like because yeah. people say it comes from the Welsh book and so on and, and so forth. So it's yeah. I suppose the bonus of using things that are thousands of years old, thousands of years old is that as long as you don't as long as you don't randomly hand them an RPG, you do have a, a license. <laughs> this film. is this is sort of historic. This is historical fact, or these this is the best we can do with the information we have to hand. Yeah. You, do, you do get a lot of license. The bishop does say that the Pope's calling the shot in this case, like he's saying, like he'll he'll grant you your papers. That that's never been a case in this phase of history that the Pope was the guy calling the shot. So that was a weird thing for them to add in. I mean, him, I from the mo- from the moment uh, there was a Pope and there was a Catholic Church, directly or indirectly, he was definitely if he wasn't pulling the shots that the Pope was. Pulling strings. I mean, that happens it, now in certain certain it, places. It, it does, but like it would still be under the jurisdiction of the emperor at that stage. It, the the papal states didn't. He wasn't the head of the papal states until at least what twelve hundreds ten. Oh, does I mean? But that I think he would have made one more... of the most hateable people in the film. <laughs> oh yeah, bad bloke. He's such a bastard. And, He's got uh, a hateable face as well. The guy um, I found it said Ken Stott. His name is. I couldn't realize why. Uh, knew him from and he's the guy that plays marius um he's also in the hobbit but i can't remember if he's a dislikable character in that but he's got a really hateable face yeah the guy that kind of owns the slaves yeah bad guy bad guy indeed i think what um, i didn't quite understand as well is that they built the hadrian's wall but yet there was this roman family that lived beyond hadrian's wall that's what i didn't quite understand like they were just wide open to attack why wouldn't they have just built their villa the other the other side yeah well the point of it is that they're there should have left didn't on the basis that they are they 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 had what they needed in terms of slave and stuff so they just took their chances rightly or wrongly but that's essentially what they've done yeah fair so he he rescues um the kid and he rescues um guinevere from the kind of chamber where they seem they're being punished by God. I've never seen anyone recover as quick as Keira Knightley in this since Lester won the Prem. <laughs> it's insane. She has one drink of water and a sponge bath, and she is good as new. That's all you need, magic sponge. Firing Shocker. arrows and taking off head tops. Yeah, like, that's what I... <laughs> yeah, and she had, oh, and she had, the, king's, she had the king's hand. I, I mean, I've, I've said on here before, this film did change my life. Um, uh, inspiration, <laughs> ins- ins- inspiration for my first tug, this film. <laughs> Kieran Knightley in this film, Clive, the Pirates of the Caribbean poster, taking Clive back to back in those days. Life-changing. You don't really <laughs> want to know this. 
get on the pod, Jack. Yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel comfortable enough to share. Yeah, I knew already. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Oh, you may have may well have told me this before. To be honest, it didn't sound like news as you were telling me. Hey, look, you've got to share these things sometimes. I was telling you why there's such a nostalgia factor there. Yeah, mine is well more innocent. And now that you've just said that, I'm not going to share mine. So we can move on. Oh, it was your third. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, I'm still not going to share it. I mean, I think that's just a clip that we should keep. Well, I mean, some of the things you've said on previous pods, it must be bad if you're not saying it. No, no, mine's incredibly innocent. It's actually anti It's well, I'm saying diametrically opposed. You've said you like having your shit pushed in, and you'd go through uh, Steve McManaman. <laughs> Only what? one of those. One of those is a quote from a film. <laughs> for a start, you fucking idiot. And it was Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> we had a comment on last week. Two weeks ago, saying I thought Keith was more of Robbie Fowler. Man. <laughs> Whoever left that comment. My man, loved it. <laughs> Big fan. Um, another thing I took away, that scene when they kind of go into this little, I don't know, I keep calling it a village, I don't really know what you want to call it. but Settlement. Why in films when there's someone tied up, they never cut them down nicely. Like, he slashes him and just leaves him in a heap on the floor because he wants to look big, swiping it down. They always leave them like that. It's like when they cut someone down, whether it's from rope, whether it's from chains, they just, they never slice it all up, hold them there so they're not going to collapse on the floor. This bloke who's been hung up like that for God knows how long, he's not been eating or drinking, and you just leave him in a heap so you look like a big man with your Excalibur sword. No need. I like if you let him know that, right? Someone grab him. I'm going to cut him down now. It's not like, you know what? Fuck this. Maybe he enjoys it. Maybe he enjoys the power. It's like I'm going to set you free, but you're not going to like it. Also, pretty quickly they go from saving Guinevere to two of them having a pop. Like, I know they... The reason they say they don't go fully in with the love triangle theory, and don't tell me how they know half the story, but not the whole thing is that they claim they don't have the full details on how things went with Lancelot, so they just imply it in this case. And Like we had the nod with the Aston Martin and this one, I guess this is a nod to the people who like history in that sense, and Acknowledged that Lancelot may or may not have gone the whole way with Guinevere. Do you think so? They cast Kira Knightley in this. There was no casting what ifs for her. Do you think she was cast essentially because she's English? Because her voice does essentially just fit what they're looking for in someone that is very English for the role, and then they do reference it a couple of times, including the end. It's a good get, though, isn't it? Mm. It is uh, there. She was on. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm not sure which one it was. She was on one of those American chat shows they had, and um, I tried watching an interview for this. Yeah, I, I made it through about three minutes, maybe. It was so hard to listen to. I don't know if she still sounds like that doing interviews, but she sounds exactly how kind of a rich, privileged. English girl from London should sound like it's painful, like she's telling jokes that nobody should be laughing at. Mm. 
and people are laughing along. I physically couldn't watch anymore. It was so tough. She's talking about like wanting an agent when she was four years old. It's like that didn't happen. But there you go. That's the extent of the research I go to. Um, so for this film then, Keenan, was it better or worse than you remembered it being? I enjoyed it about as much. I For everything that we've listened to, or you've sort of been said negatively. I really like this film. I, I'm not saying I'm just kind of opening both sides of it. No, no, I no, think, I get that. But I, I really I appreciated like this film. different things this time. Uh, I definitely did. For what it, for what it's worth, I appreciated some of the speeches and some of the the. Not to say I don't want to say subtext because it's just not yeah. that. It's, it, it's not that that intellectual. But some of the smaller parts. Whereas when I was a kid and I watched this, and I was ten years old. It was people getting fucked up on horseback and getting shot by arrows. So I saw, which I still like now. But sorry, I was a a much bigger fan when I was when when I was ten. I saw this um, at the cinema with um, a kid um, I used to know, like family friend back in the day. Um, My brothers couldn't get in to see it because it was a twelve or twelve A, and so they went to see Spider Man Two, and we went to see this film. So I always kind of remember one with the other. Um, one thing I definitely didn't appreciate at the time was the villain in this. And I, I feel I kind of understand why they don't have him be like a mean killer machine the whole way through. But that, that quote where he says, he sighs and he says, finally, a man worth killing. Mm-hmm. It's so good for a villain because you're yes. actually saying like, everything is so easy for me. Well, I was only reading today an interview with Ian Wright when he was talking about before he made it to pro level. And he would try and hit the post to, add in, to score goals. And after he scored two in the match, he'd be bored. And that's essentially, uh, Serdic, uh, his name is in this. That's essentially what he's doing. Like, everyone is too easy to kill. He's finally got <laughs> someone that's going to make it worth it. And I don't know if they should have had more scenes showing how vicious he is. Or if it works that the only real time you see him is he, he disciplines uh, the guy that talks back to him he kind of has the the daddy issues with his son and the woman begging at his knees before he says kill her yeah yeah i don't know if they should have had maybe another scene with him looking bored while he's killing someone like it's just effort that he shouldn't be going to i thought he's a brilliant villain because he kills lancelot or but he takes on lancelot doesn't he yeah no it's not Oh, wait, no, it's no. his son. It's his son. son. It's his son. Who does he kill? Oh, no. He kills, he kills um, Tristan. 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 That's it. Yeah, Tristan. Freddie Lundberg kills Lance a lot. Yeah, that's the one. And he makes it look very easy. And don't forget, he's been stabbed in the leg at this point, and he still nearly takes Arthur. He's a fucking vicious bloke, this guy. An absolute danger. I would love the to way Arthur him. takes him is so demeaning. That's yeah. like Ronaldinho Champions League 2004-5 levels. Like, <laughs> no look passes. Like, no <laughs> look stabbing from behind. He deserved a better death than that. <laughs> <Just gets laughs> he that should have had, though, lot loves those two swords over his shoulders. He should have had, like, in Gladiator, where he kind of cuts across them, take his head like that, give him a proper death. Yeah. Rather than the one he does get. 
now the ending originally was going to be much darker than this. Antoine Fuqua wanted it to be much darker. He wanted them to be wanting Lance a lot. They kind of they don't really feel like they've won because to Thanos levels like at what cost? But again, the studio said they wanted it to kind of be rounded out. I think they wanted to make the point like you're not having a sequel for this. We're wrapping this up clean. And so that they go that way about it, and you get kind of a wedding to end it. I don't know how you how you feel about that, Sean. Yeah, well, I I I don't mind the ending. Um, I actually quite like it. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm gutted for my boy dying, but other than, other than that, I quite like the ending. Does anyone have a a favourite scene other than the battle on the ice? Mine was probably the battle at Hadrian's Wall. That's what grabbed me the most. On the ice for you, Sean? Yeah, mine's definitely the ice. Someone else that's lethal on the ice? <laughs> yeah. Mine is the uh, yeah. Mine is the ice. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, the the only other one would be uh, the scene where they're in the the round table and then they have that discussion and it leads to. Arthur going to Germanus and then and then obviously it ends in ends in the song. Um, so yeah, that that that's another one, but it would be the ice one. Are you Just... gonna sing "We Will Go Home" for us, Sean? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I thought we, we we would end. We'll end the pod with it if uh, if King Arthur goes through. But, oh, we'll be yeah. there shortly. A great great song. Do you need to stand there and smash the ice like that? I feel like a couple of swings and they could have backed off like, to me he wouldn't he wouldn't have cracked he wouldn't have cracked it he'd already cracked it and he was going he was going overball he was playing hero ball at that stage i don't know it was only once it he had his double double he could have backed off took himself to the bench i don't said he was so. chasing that that trip dub uh, you see it you see it starts crack that's when he stops but then he gets hit so not a lot he could have done And I also I love I love the scene you've possibly seen it in a couple of other films as well. But the arrow scene where like the one side tries to hit yeah. they're out of range and then the other do it and then it hits them. Just love that kind of thing. So that was where Lancelot says, uh, "You look frightened." There's a large number of lonely men out there, and she says, "Don't worry, I won't let them rape you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they had that in the trailer, but they changed the dialogue. I won't let them get you or something, and then it was different for the film. Uh, right. Yeah, you probably can't say rape in a trailer. <laughs> no, probably not for the best. Um, do I need to ask you how rewatchable you find this, Sean? <laughs> you don't know. I don't think I need to ask Jack in this case. So if we go to Keenan, what do you think, Keenan? How rewatchable is this? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I really, like I say, I. I've real, re- I've really fond memories of this, but I reckon it'd been ten years since I'd seen this. Yeah, maybe more. Maybe like honestly, maybe maybe more. In fact, I think I can tell you the last time I watched it, it was, I think my, it was in a house of my nuns, and I, that she has not lived there for mm, maybe about thirteen years. Um, but yeah, great film. What well, I will, right, will watch again. Let's go to the judging. The uh, fact that have you told the boys the price I had to pay to to watch this, by the way? Well, sure, no. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, he, taking in that that into consideration, shoot. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'll just buy the DVD next time because I'm not going to do that every time. <laughs> yeah. How much did it cost? It cost me the princely show of nine ninety nine, Jack. <laughs> nine ninety nine. Dedication well, that was only to the, the pod, my definition. man. You should have paid the extra quid for HD when you're at that stage. <laughs> uh, I don't, they didn't. I. Yeah, how much would a DVD have been on Prime for that uh, quid? It was. It wasn't. <laughs> mate, it was surprisingly more expensive than i thought but i tried to order the dvd on tuesday Tues- tuesday afternoon i tried to order it and they were like oh we can't get it they know for love nor money they couldn't get it to me but until friday so it's uh, it not good i just had to swallow, swallow it and watch it one's on disney yeah. plus next week the other's on netflix so you're all right there mm-hmm. um sean we'll go to you first which one did you prefer Prefer King Arthur. Keenan, which did you prefer? Skyfall. Jack, which did you prefer? Skyfall for me. I'm sorry, Sean. I also preferred Skyfall. For how, uh, I would say, for how I feel like you've been lying to me all these years, the way you've gone about this pod. No, I haven't. Some of the way you you phrase questions to Keenan, you're trying to push him a certain way. I've like seen what? it, and Keenan can tell as well. I've just seen <laughs> it. I've seen it. <laughs> like, I, what, 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 give us an example. Yeah. <laughs> just the way, the way, the way he phrases the I'll tell you the way I've done this. Um, <laughs> I know everyone liked the first film. I know Jack doesn't particularly like the second film. So, And you've made it quite clear how much you like the second film. So I've angled the question towards Keenan. So you've got somewhere in the middle. Uh, the way, if we listen back to this, the way you ask questions about Skyfall to the way you ask questions about King Arthur, you can definitely tell the change in tone. Well, I'll be honest with you, Sean, there's a lot more substance to Skyfall to ask questions. I don't, li- I don't like this pre-pod conferring either. You messaged me drunk on Saturday saying I'm going to be so upset if it doesn't go through. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-pod conferring. with Harper, confirming with Keenan. What's the point of us doing this pod if we all, if we all know where we're going? What's the point of us doing the pod? We all know the way we're going. <laughs> For moments like this, shoot. Yeah. I love I love you being vocal. I want you fighting your corner more often. Big fan. Honestly, you're swaying Keenan. me. You're swaying me more towards King Arthur than the film has in the last twenty years. Keenan texted me saying so he enjoyed it. it. So there we go. Yeah, good film. Good film. All right. All right. Oh, right, well, I'll tell you now. Don't back down, shoot. Get at him. Fuck him. Re- hey, Rewatchability for me is Skyfall. Um, Jack, what about you? Sorry, repeat the question, mate. Rewatchability. Skyfall. Keenan? Yeah, Skyfall. Sean? <laughs> yeah, King Arthur. <laughs> Keenan, um, best moment slash scene for you? Uh, the Battle on the Ice. Yeah. Mine's uh, Skyfall and it's the digger scene on the train. Sean? Mine's the battle on the ice. And mine is uh, Javier Bardem's opening his entrance. Sean, best quote for you? Best quote for me? Uh, best quote for me is King Arthur and it's the no Roman legion, no papal army, nor God Himself will protect you when it's Artorius talking to Bishop Germanus. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's my 
I know we've been on a bit of a time thing tonight, but unless I've just not been paying attention, but we've not really got not really done a lot of quotes. We didn't do no, quotes. We, yeah, well, uh... we take the time now to do. I can love some more as well. I like when uh, <laughs> you can, you can reel off some more. I mean, we're not going to be here on that. I'll be honest with you. Um, I know. As well, I know why we've not done it, but yeah, I did think King Arthur's got some absolute bangers. I wanted you to see my face, so I wanted to see a face so that I and I alone will come for you on the battlefield. It's, it's meant to mark my face as well for I'll be the man that kills you. Yeah, the next time you see it, you'll, it'll be the last thing you see on Earth. Yeah, sorry. Um, just, also, just the speech. No, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Skyfall, by the way, because I can't really have my best scene being his speech. <laughs> and then, and yeah, it'll not be your best quote. So that was an oversight on, on my part there. So... Um, what what's the best quote across the two films for you, Keane? It, it, it it's the rat speech from Barlem, but the um where they just find out that they've got to go on the other mission, and he says, "I I am a free man," and that that where the little dialogue between them, where he says, "If it, if we've all got to die sometime, if this is it, so be it." Unbelievable. Was. I like the little bastards. It means something to me, especially number three. He's a good fighter. <laughs> What's the best then, uh, quote for you, Jack? Um, I mean, I'm going to give it to James Bonds, but I can't. I mean, I I like it when the DB5 is unveiled, and it's like, oh, this is totally conspicuous or inconspicuous. There's like that bit of humour from um. Um, I like the rat um, kind of monologue from Javier. He says something yeah. funny when he gets on the train as well, when he rips it in half of the digger. I can't remember what he says. Just changing carriage. That's the one. Um, my my favourite one from uh, Bond is where with the whiskey, where Bardem says, like, I win, what do you say to that? It's just such a great waste, such a waste of great scotch. Yeah. Um, Sean, who's your MVP? MVP. See, I, re- I want to give this to Lancelot. <laughs> After but, what you said last week, Keenan. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. From my uh, my own rules for MVP, I can't really give it to him. So. Uh, do it, Sean. Just get a Byron some more. I loved it. Oh <laughs> yeah, my MVP is King Arthur. I'm giving it to I'm giving it to Artorius, but I, I wouldn't. I wish I could give it to Lancelot, but we get snaked, so. That's why I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Who's your MVP, Keenan? Uh, James Bond. Jack? See, I'm actually going to give it to King Arthur because I feel like James Bond does let M die in this. And he does get shot. And he's not as James Bondy as other films. And I'm not saying that I don't like it because I love the film. I just think that King Arthur is a lot more adversity to overcome. A lot less people. And he's just a fucking. You mean a lot less people? In the first yeah. battle, I mean, he, he is actually commanding an army. No, that is true. I, I've just oh. realised that I've put. Make, make a choice. Don't change your mind on my account. What you're saying. Personality. No, I'm not going to change your mind. It's still going to be King Arthur. I think that, like, the battle, him just being a badass. I, I'm just a sucker for a badass knight. Um, all right. Uh, well, that's a good soundbite for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, who is your best side character? Uh, my side character is uh, my side character is 
it's King Arthur, but I wasn't sure. I've, I've got either Guinevere or Bors. Bors is touching point. Could could be a main. I'd probably say the main character is probably Arthur Lancelot and Guinevere once she's in. Mine um, is Bors as well. But yeah, it, pro- it probably is Bors, yeah. Keenan he, he has more quotes all of well. the knights. As a collective? Because they're, they're, they only say X amount of words. So I would say each of them is, as, as a group, the knights are part of the main storyline. But each of them individually, it's side character. So I wanted to see if I could qualify it. So I, don't, I want them all or nothing, basically. So who is your... Uh, as you made me pick, yeah, it's uh, Ray Winston. He is great in this film. He is very, very good in this film. Who's you your side really... character, Jack? You can't really give it M, can you? Because she's like almost like a co-star in this yeah. one. Um, uh, I thought the same about um, Bardem as well. I knew Byron would piss and moan at me about yeah. him being a main character. I'm gonna go with Q, or actually, I'm gonna go with Money Penny. Actually, I like her introduction. I like her chemistry with Bonds, and um, she's got no chemistry with Bond. I, I, I like the Money Penny. Money Penny over balls. <laughs> impervious to his sexual powers and she knows it and that's why I like it alright difficulty of adventure um, I'm going King Arthur on this one I feel he's yes. got more to do and he's got less to do it with is my main, is my main thinking there it's more having less to travel. My, my thing was difficulty of adventure each stop he makes he's trying to fight off hundreds of people <laughs> I know he's got a few of them with him, but I mean, there are fucking like those wards. Every time they show up, they come heavy. There's fucking loads of them at every opportunity. <laughs> um, Sean, uh, yeah, same, same. Because you say even though I guess in actual distance he has travelled less, but then he's had to ride on yeah. horse and walk. But that's, what, so. that's it. You're saying you're, it's a mile walking a mile in a straight line, completely flat, or walking 0.8 of a mile. I realise the distances would be less percent more percentage wise yeah, in terms of yeah. difference but walking that uphill is going to be an harder journey more difficult yeah Jack yeah I'm going King Arthur I think he's gone for the um, same reasons as you said I'll stick with you Jack um, which film has more visual appeal uh, for me it's James Bond I, I agree what about you Keenan yeah I agree Sean yeah, I agree. I even like the uh, I like the London scenes. I'm always he keeps drinking down the mic. Sorry, it's me. My throat's real dry. Slurring. Um, I'm a second for uh, London scenes. Well, goes back to you, Keenan. Which film has the better soundtrack? I'm sorry to do it to you, shoot, but it's, it's Skyfall. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! As a, coll- oh. as a collective. Yeah, sure. This did get you an Oscar song. for the soundtrack. <laughs> also, uh, Adele says she can't perform this song because her voice was only so deep because of the hormones of her being pregnant. Oh, good bit of trivia, that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Jack, well, well, you know we got to do. You know we got to do, Byron, to hear this song again. Oh, knock up Adele. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fire a new album. Um. Yeah, it's Skyfall. And I mean, sure. just, just for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's essentially what wanted for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, my mine is King Arthur, but we will go home. 
Sean, which film has more originality? Um, I wasn't really sure on this one. Like, they're both probably both original in the kind of same di- same ways. They're both a slightly different take on what the normal is. Um, give it to King Arthur on that basis. Keenan. Yeah, I agree with shoot. They are both somewhat reimaginings, but King Arthur is more of a reimagining. And what they do, what they change, is more original than what they change with James Bond. Jack? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to go pure for King Arthur purely because I've never seen a film about Saxons versus Romans before, and I did find that quite intriguing. Um, do I need to ask about Bigger Impact? No. One made a billion and we won't talk about the other one. All about numbers for you, isn't it? All about numbers. <laughs> He's a stat <laughs> guy. You've heard him he talk is. about football. He He's is. a stats guy. No, All about the cultural guy. impact, the impact in the community. Yeah, which, do you want a cultural impact? It goes the same way. Oh, yeah. I was hoping for a bigger reaction with that stat comment, Byron. You've disappointed yeah, myself. Everyone right? knows I trust the eye test. I talk about it on the pod frequently. Well, <laughs> the irony of that is staggering, but hey ho. No need for that. <laughs> <laughs> Keenan. Staggering as well. Staggering. Keenan, which film has yes, a better mate. opening scene? Skyfall. Sean? Yeah, it, it is Skyfall. Um, again, I, I, again, similar to The Mummy, I, I, like the, I like the way King Arthur opens the scene, but yeah, Skyfall is clearly the better scene. I treat the opening scene of King Arthur as one of the worst. It drags on for so long. Twelve minutes, because I, I timed it last night. Because I, yeah. I, 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 I've tried. There's to... no need. Just tell us they're getting taken away from their families to be nice. Is it twelve minutes? No, I was saying Skyfall. I actually timed it last night oh, as right. I was watching it. The, the, up until the moment he gets shot, it's twelve minutes, and I couldn't oh, wow. work out. This sounds stupid, considering I've been doing a podcast about films weekly for a year. You could tell me any definition of a scene, and I'd probably be like, yeah, still don't really know what it is. I'd say <laughs> the whole thing yeah, is more of a sequence, but the opening scene in this still is, there's more that happens, I'd say. Yeah, um, that's, that's fine. I mean, you could cut it at any, almost yeah. any point in that 12 minutes, and I'd still agree. But in my head, that's like the opening bit. But yeah, sequence is probably the word. Uh, Jack? Yeah, Skyfall. Um, stick with you, Jack. Which film has the better ending? Skyfall for me. I wasn't Keenan. a fan of the wedding. Um, Charlie, actually, I quite like. I like the ending of King Arthur. I'm gonna. The ending of James Bond after she dies is sort of exactly what you expect. I'm not saying that's I, a bad thing, but it, I, I, I think that is. It is the case from the moment Ralph finds is introduced as taking over and that's essentially what happens you have the funeral and he, she becomes his secretary which you can sort of work out from the moment she says I've temporarily been suspended from field duty it's not reinventing the wheel um, I, I prefer the Skyfall one um, Sean uh, King Arthur I'm a um, sucker for those country views um, Keenan which film do you think has the better chemistry King Arthur. Sean? King Arthur. Jack? 
Skyfall for me. I agree with King Arthur. I thought they were harsh in that critics' review saying uh, yeah, I know. There I was thought no chemistry between them. I mean, just so those two. I mean, even I mean, take that away. The the boys. I mean, Daniel Craig and Judy Dench are great together. But I, in, in my mind, when I think of this film, I think of the 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 the, the knights. Sorry, starting knights at the round table and the chemistry that they have there. Yeah. Right, so sorry to say, Sean, it is bad news for King Arthur. Uh, well, I'm not surprised with your with your <laughs> agenda. <laughs> your agenda, please. That feels like the whole friendship's been alive for like eight or ten years. Yeah. Well, it was seven five. It ran it close, um, which That's I think right. is a fairer shake than what a lot of podcasts would have given this matchup. Wow. Um, Ken, sticking <laughs> your foot in while it's that little jive as he's walking away. Oh, 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 you 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 read the oh, news yes, like... for the last few years. He's been saying how much he likes it as well. I like it. Mate, he's dropped. Honestly, he dropped it like it's hot. This whole pod. I like yeah, it. I just, preferred, I just preferred Skyfall. Yeah, well. Mystery you know when, when, we did, when we did Knocked Up. <laughs> Mystery was... Knocked Up? I haven't been texting you about Knocked Up for the last 10 years. We haven't formed a whole friendship on Knocked Up yet. <laughs> 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 Sean only watched it last year and he's claimed it's been his favourite film for all this time. You clown. You clown. As I said, I dressed as Lancelot at a family Christmas party in 2004. Oh, that's a pathetic <laughs> Is that the Lance ginger one? one? It's the ginger dwarf. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Skyfall was a it's a great film, so you can't have you can't have too many complaints about that. <laughs> so we will go into next week then. Uh, it's a it's a good one for you, Keenan, um, as we will be getting into Star Wars. Um, Fuck off. Star Wars <laughs> of the, so Keenan, in the next two weeks you've got Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Which one are you looking forward to more? Did I tell you I'm busy next week? No, you didn't, but Oh, right, yeah. My bit. You're free. I know you are. <laughs> I mean, I will I will work my hardest to make legitimate plans between now and next Thursday. Yeah, you've um, got Everest as well, it's a great film. I don't I haven't seen that, honestly. Oh, you got that to look forward to. Uh, yeah. To answer your question, I'm probably looking forward to Star Wars less. It is an hour shorter. Oh, right, shit, I changed my mind. <laughs> um, um, so you've got Star Wars up against Everest, so Kieran Knightley and Everest as well. What's um, Lord of the Rings running against? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, fucking hell, I could watch that as well. You've not even seen it. I know. You've been on about it. You've probably been telling me to watch it for the last three years. And there's a reason that I haven't. We'll we'll sort that after this, Sean, rather than uh, right. on the air. But works with me. That's why. That's why I message. Yeah. Um, so that does do us. I mean, I'll be honest. If we do the other points, then I'm probably not going to be doing it properly because I'm very distracted. Yeah, yeah, we'll call it a day, shall we? We've got our result. Yeah. We'll come back so, and do a proper pod next week. Yeah. Um, and we'll sort things out there. So thank you for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. Hopefully that flowed a bit smoother than last week, narrowed things down a bit, give a bit more uh, 
freedom, even if Sean doesn't think so, to uh, <laughs> discussing the film. Right, but, hey, if, it, if it loses, it loses five. It's just your behaviour throughout the pod. Your <laughs> behaviour. We were talking about your behaviour on the pod. You, you wouldn't be on them anymore. Anyway, <laughs> anyway before, before I say something I regret, um, <laughs> thank you again. We'll be back. Goodbye. <laughs>